Hello and welcome to episode number 10 of Policy in Wonderland. I'm your host, Ajitao Mira. You can call me Abby. In Policy in Wonderland, just like Alice, we are going to explore and see the wonderful world of insurance, insurtech, and everything, everything that connected to this amazing ecosystem. In Policy in Wonderland, you will meet startups from all over the world, key figures, VCs, brokers, and more. So without further ado, we travel today to San Francisco, and I want to invite my guests to join me as we go down the rabbit hole. Please welcome Amir Kabir from AV8 Ventures. Hello, Amir. Hey there. Thanks for having me. Uh, uh, great to, to see you. you. Thank you very much Thank you. for joining us. And sure. Amir, let's jump in a brief introduction about yourself, and let's dig in Shurtech, in InsurTech. Sure, sure. Um... I um, have been investing in and around insurance for the past, I would say, 10 years. Uh, my journey to insurance uh, was to like different uh, steps, but I have no insurance background, which mm. I think is good. Maybe also bad. I think it's good. Uh, I, um, for most of my life, I grew up in Germany and spent most of my professional career on the operating side either with an enterprise software startup that I was part of uh, where we built uh, enterprise communication management software or on the consumer side where I started a consumer business with a friend mm -hmm. of mine, which was basically not so successful, but I think a lot of learnings. And then uh, I made my way to the US almost like 11, 11 years ago um, where I was on the East Coast and you know started working in the venture field with uh, you know uh, a small fund uh, called Route sixty six Ventures, which you know back in the days, what I think was really ahead of the game uh, when it comes down to fintech and insurance, because eleven years ago they were already looking into insure tech, right? And that's what I made kind of my first investment in insure tech. I was part of the team over there, and um, that's how I got into like the insurance world, and you know saw like hey, it's kind of interesting, exciting, and kind of stick with it. And then made my way to, you know, uh, the West Coast here in San Francisco. I've been here for the past uh, eight and a half years. And um, uh, during my time here, I helped build up uh, Munich Ventures, which a lot of people are probably familiar with, which is the mm -hmm. venture arm of uh, Munich Re. Wow. Uh, so I was part of the founding team there. Uh, and I spent time there for almost six years. We went like from, you know, the first fund and three people uh, to, you know, like when I left, I think it was over 20 people on the team, a billion dollars on the management, uh, I don't know, 40 investments, a couple of exits. And we're basically part of like the whole kind of insure tech wave that started uh, in the early 2010, 12 um, uh, era. And uh, then I left and um, wanted to go back to, you know, my early stage rules, um, early stage roots, sorry, um, and joined Aviate Ventures as a partner where I lead uh, the fintech and insurtech practice. Uh, we are an early stage fund uh, on our second fund of 180 and similar size mm -hmm. first fund. Um, we're a generalist fund, uh, but I'd say, you know, we have three areas of interest. One is enterprise, one is healthcare, healthcare services, and a third one is the fintech and insurtech area, mm -hmm. which I lead. And we mostly look at, you know, early stage startups from pre-seed to seed to, to, to the kind of series A level, 
but I would say pre-seed and seed is mostly the focus. And um, to date, um, I've done uh, seven investments with Aviate. I'm actually closing on my eighth investment now. Uh, all investments nice. are, you know, early stage, very hands-on with the founders. You know, I take board seats very early on and try to really be in the trenches with the founders and help them navigate um, their business, give them kind of my insights, my 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 knowledge that I kind of accumulated over the last you know, 10 years uh, and help them get from one, one level to the other. And you accumulated a nice knowledge about insurance, as I can say, um, because <laughs> you wrote two articles and I think it's, I don't know if the most popular, but it's one of the most popular articles about InsurTech and insurance because you wrote on 2022 about the InsurTech wave 1.0, right? About the InsurTech, uh, about, about the InsurTech wave. This is article mm -hmm. number one and article number three is in, on 2023. And there you analyze uh, the history of insured insurance, uh, especially in the US and the mainstream US, uh, beginning from St uh, State Farm, Geico, and uh, till the days we are uh, right now. Mm -hmm. uh, and can you give us a brief or walk us through the evolution of the insurance industry? Sure, sure, sure. And, yeah, I mean, and highlighting, highlighting the key changes that brought us in Shootech. Because if I was born like uh, in ninety nine, like ninety oh one, and then um, State Farm founded on nineteen twenty two, I think, and I will maybe think this kind of insurtech uh, in in yeah. a way, in a way. So yeah, go ahead. Sorry, sure. to, no. First of all, thank you. I I I'm I don't know if that these are the most popular articles. I hope they are. Uh, I really put a lot of effort in, and so I appreciate if the community likes it. And uh, on that note, actually, part number three is here coming I out. Share, um, sorry for the yes, for yes. YouTubers. I share here the evolution of insurance and insurtech, the infographic, the amazing infographic uh, you created. Thank and you. Yeah, it's yeah. like, wow, it's uh, how much it, <laughs> <laughs> wow, it, it took a while. It took a while and uh, it, it, it probably like, you know, misses a couple of companies, but I think I try to, you know, give a good grasp of like the last hundred years and like the, you know, the key kind of mm -hmm. milestones and, and, and things that happened. So I think the reason why I did this, um, you know, again, as I mentioned, I got into insurance uh, from the wild, wild west because I don't have insurance background. And I think after, you know, certain time investing and, you know, looking at insurance and insure tech and, you know, talking to founders, investors and whatnot, the ecosystem, I was thinking like, hey, like maybe it's good to, you know, take a step back and, you know, think about what has happened the last, you know, 100 years, or let's look into the history of insurance. And, you know, what has happened over the last uh, decade, like uh, the last decades, and what kind of, you know, key milestones, um, you know, led to what what kind of embarked the insurtech journey. And, you know, during that process, it was also kind of fascinating for myself to see all of these, you know, um, um, 
key milestones from companies or when companies were started and you know for example when uh, when geico hit their first million in policies you know i i took a took into account a lot of different sources that i kind of scraped through the internet and try to read a lot of things uh, mostly on 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 the websites of these companies and i think when you look at the history of insurance um and obviously insurance is one of the oldest you know Mm-hmm. industries in the world it's, it didn't just start 100 years ago um but i thought like you know focusing on the last 100 years is kind of a good timeline uh and as you can see like from this info infographic like you know the the incumbent that a lot of people know uh in the u.s specifically and uh are you know the state farms and geico's and progressive that started in the 20s and 30s the mm-hmm. 1920s and 30s and from there, you know, um, a lot of like um, laws were passed. Um, uh, a lot of you know other companies were built, and it kind of in in the eighties and nineties, you know, we kind of saw a first wave of you know digitization. I would say, right, with like the insurities, the the select quotes, and you know the 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 insurances and insurions. You know, they kind of started with you know a kind of digital approach to insurance because before that insurance was basically you know very regional right uh, and then um you know uh, the uh, these these big uh, insurance companies you know started with like agents and independent agents and then try to you know reach uh, different states through various forms but mostly it was through mail right or kind of like uh, independent agents that were you know, settling other states, but the digitization kind of happened in the eighties and nineties started there. Um, and, you know, from there, I think the kind of key, um, you know, step was, you know, the climate corp, uh, in 2006, I think that's kind of, you know, started kind of the wave of like, Hey, there is a kind of a digital approach, which is kind of, close to you know the insurances and others that people know but um i think climate corp is interesting because there was kind of a first bigger exit that you know kind of made a splash obviously insurance also you know was sold uh for for a bigger amount but um but it was that was later more in the, more in 2011 but climate corp started 2006 and you know eventually was acquired uh, by Monsanto for over a billion dollars. And they, you know, were focused on, you know, weather derivatives and kind of like uh, insurance, um, you know, 1.0 on on the digital level, right? And um, that's where like, you know, uh, the founder is is David Friedberg. I, I think a lot of people kind of know him in the venture community um and he actually also started metro mile later on mm-hmm. uh, which a lot of people are, are familiar with um but that's kind of um you know i feel like that's that that's kind of a bigger uh happening in the insurance world that um you know a lot of people are aware of um and um the whole you know just with the with the with the um, with uh, with what he built was basically, you know, the thesis was to sell weather derivatives online to small businesses with weather risk, and then eventually, you know, it transitioned into 
focusing fully on the agricultural side. And that's mm -hmm. obviously where I think Climate Corp was interested. But I feel like that kind of set off the, you know, insure tech revolution from my perspective, because then from there, if you look at the timeline, 2010, 11, 12, and so on, all of these new insure techs kind of emerged on, on the startup side. And I feel like that's where also like the VC industry felt like, well, you know, there is like some good opportunities in terms of exits, right? You know, billion dollar exits, you know, there is some venture return possible. And that kind of set, you know, um, the tone for InsureTech, like I think in the early 2010s uh, is from my perspective where things are started. And, um, you know, a lot of companies started um, focused in, in InsureTech wave one here when you look at the timeline most of them are foc were focused on, you know, the traditional lines of businesses, you know, home auto renters, some small commercial, some new business models, but mostly, you know, trying to, you know, focus on digitizing whatever, you know, the, the consumer knows already with the premise of like, hey, you know, insurance is not a customer friendly business and let's, you know, make it customer friendly um, and, you know, acquire customers directly with a nice app on the background and direct claims handling and 24-7 customer support and so on and so forth. And then from there, I mean, the rest is kind of history, right? I mean, in, in the late 2021s and twos, like the first of those insure techs kind of went public very quickly mm -hmm. with like a very high valuation. Uh, which, you know, was very surprising for me specifically to see. But again, I was like, hey, the market is paying that and, you know, maybe it, it's right. But I feel why, like... I why there why was for a... you it was surprising? Because all the markets say, okay, we have a new kid in the block calling Shootex. Yeah. And yeah. So, uh, yeah, going back to like this, right? I mean, if you look at the history and if you look at like the State Farms, Geico's and whatever... These guys have been around for oh, almost a hundred years, right? Mm -hmm. And so, when you look at their kind of market capitalization and their kind of premium to 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 enterprise value, whatever you want to call it, book value, and so on and so forth, you know, it it took Geico like you know almost thirty years to reach a million policies, um, and Come again? you know, progressive. Come again? Because I need the audience need to understand it. Yeah. Again, Repeat it, you mean? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it, it, it took Geico 30 years to reach 1 million in policies and force, right? And then almost 80 years, 8-0, to yeah. surpass 17 million policies, Amazing. covering over 28 million vehicles. And then Progressive and like Allstate, it took them almost 50 or 60 years to went public. Again, we're talking about a different timeline, right? And nobody, nobody says you, you should wait 20, 50, 60 years to go public. But, you know, the, the, all of the newer insure techs, it, it was less than 10 years that they went public. And the reason why I'm bringing this up is that I learned from, from my perspective, insurance is like a very, very, you know, kind of get rich slowly business, meaning, you know, growing at all costs will not get you to the right outcome. Right, because it's a risk selection process. You want to take on the good risk. You want to eliminate the bad risk, and obviously, you want to build a portfolio. 
And I think looking at those numbers that I mentioned before, you can see it took a long time for these uh, behemoths to, to get to where they are. And obviously they started operating in a world where technology was not so given, whereas today, you know, technology is obviously ubiquitous. Um, but so for me, again, it was surprising because when you look at the market cap of these kind of companies, I don't know where, 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 where Progressive or Allstate are right now. Let me see Allstate stock. Uh, market cap is $42 billion, right? And I think uh, they're there. Uh, premium book with businesses are somewhere around uh, 40 billion or so. So it's basically one time book, right? If you want to look at it that way. Mm -hmm. And so it was surprising to see that, you know, these insure techs were valued at like 20x, 30x book value uh, going public, right? And I was like, you know, that that's kind of weird, because even if you claim that you are built on the fully new technology stack. You are technology first. You are customer first. Like a 20, 30 X on book value is just insane, right? And so, I mean, again, the the the, uh, the public markets were kind of induced into that and they were successfully being, they successfully were able to go public. But I feel that quickly, you know, uh, changed where, you know, public, uh, where, where all the metrics and all the you know data that these uh, mm -hmm. insurtechs had, you know, were quickly coming to light, and you know those those numbers could not hold in in the public market, and that's why you know um, if you look at the market cap of these companies that went public, you know, uh, they are a fraction of what they were uh, when they went public, right? I mean, Hippo, uh, sorry, Lemonade, I think went public at seven billion. I think they're trading yeah. now at one. Uh, Hippo went uh, public at five billion. I think they're trading at five hundred million. I'm not sure. Let me see where it is today. Uh, it's uh, it's at three hundred forty million market cap. Uh, so, you know, almost more than ten x down. Um, and then Root went public at like uh, six billion, I think. Uh, and they're they're trading. <laughs> Their market cap is at four fifty. So as you can see, um, all of all of these kind of adjusted. The only one that is surprising, and like it's kudos to them that they were able to figure it out, is Oscar Health, right? Mm -hmm. Oscar Health. Um, you know, they are also like uh, uh, more on the on the healthcare side, obviously, but they went public. Let me see if I can find it. Um, what, what was that again when they went public? I think they went public at six or something. Uh, oh, at, at eight, 7.8. 7 and they were able, yeah, they're, they're now at like um, 3.7, so almost half, which is not bad, right? I mean, it's still okay, right? It's not like fully, you know, 10x down <laughs> or 20x down. Um, but yeah, so... Going back, I think, uh, uh, yeah, that that's that's kind of um, you know I don't know we dived into different topics, but I don't know what I forgot the question. Um, yeah, I have a couple of questions regarding what you said uh, right now, but let's. Uh, uh, I, I want to ask you about LLMs, LLMs AI, of course. Um, how do you see the emergence of LLMs 
affecting the landscape of insurtech startups because we can see that there is a lot of startups that can vanish or the I can call him like uh, the unicorn of today would be the popcorn of tomorrow and they will pop up mm-hmm. uh, because of the generative AI because of the uh, all the agents not the insurance agents but the, the AI agents that can replace more and more startups and eventually even in insurance because if it's um, call centers and uh, uh, documents and we can keep on how do you see the emergence of LLMs regarding to, to insurtechs? Yeah, I think it's obviously um, AI is like the newest hype topic right mm-hmm. now in the whole venture world. Um, you know, uh, I think every five to 10 years we have like different topics. Uh, it was it was blockchain and blockchain, crypto, yeah. then it was fintech like 10 years ago, then it was insurtech seven years ago. Like it's, it's like, we have like always these cycles, I think, coming and going. And I mean, first of all, I just want to say AI or LLMs, whatever, this is nothing new, right? I mean, it has been around right. for years. <laughs> and I think what has changed, though, is, and I think that's where like this whole interest comes from, from my perspective, is that one application really found product market fit on the consumer side. And what I'm talking about is ChatGPT, right? You know, so basically, you know, the use of AI, LLM, and whatever you want to call it, kind of find a way into the mainstream consumer world without even, you know, making it like basically actually making a big bang. And I mean, if you look at the revenue numbers and the growth of OpenAI, ChatGPT is just insane. And I think that's where that's what kind of transformed this whole interest in AI and LLM models in general. Because again, I think that was something that was there before. Like people, like a lot of companies, startups, whatever, mature or new or or nascent, uh, were using some sort of AI capability or LLM technology for the underlying uh, mm-hmm. business. And so uh, going now to the insurance world, I think everybody's looking at that. Oh my God, like, yes, that's the newest thing. And we have to now get into AI and LLMs. And, you know, this is the newest topic and trend in insurance as well. Where I'm like, wow, okay, cool. Uh, great. Like, I'm, I'm okay. I'm, I'm, I feel like there is so many different problems in the insurance world that are fundamental. And a lot of problems are very you know, maybe not trivial, but like they look trivial, but if you can solve them, it's way more valuable than having an AI or LLM, whatever thing you're doing over there. So, um, for example, what kind of problems do you think about? So right now I'm looking a lot into the ENS market, right? The excess and surplus line market. Mm-hmm. I mean, as, it, as trivial as it sounds, there is not much technology enabling ENS brokers and agents and carriers to sell, distribute, you know, products. So building something very, you know, simple by enabling agents and enabling carriers to, you know, communicate and distribute product uh, would be great. And I think there's a lot of people building in and around that, right? But this is something that looks from the outside very trivial, but it's, you know, harder to build. 
but it has literally not much to do with AI or LLM, right? Yes, yeah. uh, so that's what I mean with like, there's other problems that, you know, you can solve, uh, focus on. And when you look at, you know, AI and whatever you want to find that LLMs, I think that there is definitely, you know, uh, a place for that in the insurance world as well. Um, I think mostly probably on the um, claim side, right, uh, where uh, people already have been, you know, building in and around that as well. And um, there is a lot of uh, topics around now, um, you know, using AI LLM chatbots to enable customers mm -hmm. so that basically right. you have kind of a conversational approach to policy um, uh, sales. Uh, and then there is a lot of discussions around using AI and LLM for kind of educating customers or navigating through the maze of insurance, helping them to understand what kind of insurance they have. And all of these things are great, right? And all of these things, you know, will make a difference or have an impact. Um, but I feel like, you know, on, and then obviously like the whole discussion around uh, AI and LLM on the underwriting side, but again, the, the, that's also one thing to keep in mind. There's a, from my perspective, there's also the discussion who will win the AI race or LLM race or whatever you want to call it. And is it going to be a startup or is it going to be like the big incumbents like the NVIDIA, mm. Google's, Facebooks and whatever. And I think the reason why, you know, people think about that or I think about it is because similar to insurance companies, they sit on a shit ton of data, right? right. That they can use. For, for any sorts of like models. So when you think about um, on the insurance side, again, it's the incumbents who, from my perspective, have tons of data and you know, can use that data to train those models um, and you know, make something out of it, either be it on the uh, customer servicing side, on the claim side or on the writing side. I could perspective. Um... Let's go back to Insurtech 2.0 because mm -hmm. you mentioned about the ENS and yesterday I had a talk with a broker from Boston and um, that is specialized in captive insurance. And the ENS market uh, for me could be very relevant to Insurtech 2.0 in a way of the specialty that you need to have in insurance and to create something very uh, uh, formal or a, it's not just a, to create a policy to personal lines for car insurance, homeowner insurance, it's more complicated. And I think once we look to Intrutech 2.0 in this kind of way of a, a get specialized insurance people, professionals, combined with the high tech right now that we have, and then we can create ENS product and uh, even a much more uh, complex uh, product. What you uh, talked yeah. about it. Yeah, so uh, the second article that I wrote as, as you're referring to is like, we try to you know go into the next step of like, what's the next wave of insure tech look like right. based on, you know, when you look at the history of insurance and the mm -hmm. first paper insure tech. And, you know, um, 
kind of like the lessons learned from the first wave and what went right, what went wrong, and what 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 can what can the next set of an, uh, entrepreneurs and startups, you know, um, use as stepping stones to be better in what they're doing for the next wave of insurtech. And I defined it into kind of three different categories from my perspective. Obviously, you know, they're broad, but one is obviously the embedded side, which again is also nothing new, but I feel like now with the learnings from InsureTech Wave 1 and, you know, the emergence of like AI and other kind of uh, models and technology embedded insurance can, you know, take off even more. And then the second part is what you mentioned is the, you know, emergence of specialty insurance where, you know, I feel like there is the biggest needs in terms of innovation and technology. Because again, if you look at insurance, right, and if you look at the traditional lines of like home, auto, and renters, I always mm-hmm. like to, you know, mention those. Those are very, you know, uh, saturated, commoditized markets. Meaning, if you have car insurance from Geico, State Farm, or Allstate, the product is the same. It's the right? same. Short. Someone might have a better app, or they might give you some other free gimmick or something but at the end of the day like it's the same product so a lot of insurtechs wave one try to you know basically point out like no there's a flaw like this product is shit so we have to build a new product which is fine right you know you can always build better and newer products in and around insurance but the question comes back to like, does it make sense to build it in, in a very commoditized and crowded and competitive market, which is just price driven and which is completely saturated? Because as much as you think, or as much as people think, I feel the incumbents had a good enough product, right? The product was fine. Like there's not much you could have changed. I feel like what if, what, what InsurTech Wave one showed is that you know you can better service or get customers or you know help customers to understand insurance so and when you now think about specialty insurance that's where i feel like hey yeah technology and innovation is needed there because when you look at specialty insurance most of the most of the products on the specialty side are still very cumbersome uh very you know uh, operationally heavy, meaning there's people still looking at rating tables. You still have to fill out PDFs. You still have to wait. There's limited, you know, technological improvement or approach to distribution, digitization, and you know, um, servicing customers. So there is a lot of opportunity building in and around those uh, lines of business. However you have to keep in mind that most of these lines of businesses are not as big as, as those traditional lines, right? So uh, as an example that I mentioned in my in my article, medical malpractice is like a 12 to $15 billion insurance market, I think in the US uh, every year, which is a fraction of when you look at the home insurance market in the US, which is 100 billion, right? However, I feel... You know, if you are able to build something in that in that in that category, you can basically uh, take a lot of market share um, because, like, there's not much. It's a very fragmented market. There's not much technological innovation. 
And so you can really make a difference there. Uh, I invested, for example, in um, Coventry, right? Coventry uh, focuses on home insurance for the manufactured home category, right? Okay. It's a, basically middle America here in the U.S., like over 25 million people live in manufactured home. Manufactured homes are basically manufactured in the facility and then transported to a site and installed, right? Okay. Whereas, you know, traditional home, you know, there there is like a field and, you know, someone goes right. and builds a home. And interestingly enough, getting insurance for that is not as easy as you think because you can you, you can't go online and find, you know, uh, an online tool to build to, to fill it out. Even the, the bigger uh, insurance companies like the Progressives and Geico's, they always refer you to an independent agent. So you have to fill out a paper form. You have to like send this paper. It's it's ridiculous, right? Wow. So, and that market also in general per year is like around $10 billion. And there's two companies who are kind of dominating the market. One is American Modern and the other one is Foremost. And so, but no one has really built like a digital insurance mm -hmm. product. And so Coventry has actually built the first digital insurance product, an end-to-end digital insurance product where you don't have to fill out a paper form anymore. They basically enable independent agents and other kind of channels to directly write uh, manufactured home insurance within like minutes and, you know, uh, sell this to, to the end consumer. And here again, go ahead. No, 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 go ahead. And here again, I mean, if, if Coventry is able to get like 5% of that market or 10%, that's amazing, right? And exactly. they have no competition on the digital side, at least, right? Sure. Uh, and so that's where I feel like you can make a difference in insurance. And at the same mm -hmm. time, also help incumbents because like incumbents eventually, and I think there's all you aware of them, will see and be like, hey, wow, they have like this, this cool, slick digital product built on a complete like tech stack. Like, you know, let's buy them so we can dominate the market ourselves, right? And so, yeah, that's that's how I, that's how I look at it. You said about embedded insurance. You talked about embedded insurance, and you will moderate a panel about embedded insurance at mm -hmm. uh, the upcoming event in the Insurtech Insight uh, Europe 2024 in London next month. Um, that's right. Yeah, we're at 29. Uh, so yeah, next month. Um, what is your perspective in more detail about embedded insurance? And do you see it really? truly radical force that happen in the uh, industry? Yeah. Um, again, I think embedded insurance is nothing new, right? So that's something to keep in mind. Uh, exactly. I, has been I, I will tell you my perspective from embedded sure. insurance is very relevant and you need to have that kind of um, tool in, the, in our industry. But it seems like there is nothing happened like um you know don't have like the big band of uh, what you expect in uh, with embedded insurance i don't compare it to generative ai of course but once uh, um all the intruder 1.0 get out and uh, then create a great ux ui and all of the people was amazed and except you that no but um with embedded no, I was amazed. Don't get me wrong. I was amazed, <laughs> but I, it was not like rocket science. I know. Yeah. I know. <laughs> exactly. And 
and embedded insurance is like, okay, nice to have, like, let's do a regular partnership. We don't have anything near you. And, but in the other side is like, um, we have something very unique here and we can create a, a, a really destructions. I don't like this word, but I have, we have ability to make a really disruption with embedded insurance to give insurance to the people. This is my two cents. So yeah, yeah. go ahead. No, I agree. I think, uh, again, embedded insurance is nothing new. Um, mm -hmm. When you think about it, uh, it's kind of, when you think about affinity sales, that's kind of embedded insurance uh, from the history perspective uh, or bank assurance, uh, you know, it's kind of embedded mm -hmm. insurance and has been around for a long time. Um, I think now, as I mentioned, embedded insurance is interesting uh, to look at because with all the technological innovation that has happened over the last 10, 20 years, um, you know, that there's, I think there's a new way to look at that. However, um, and specifically in, 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 in those traditional lines of businesses, right? Home, auto, renter, you know, how can you embed those products into different kind of flows? Uh, you know, be it like when you buy a car, when you buy a home, when you go and rent a home and you can just sign somewhere and it's automatically included. So these kind of things, I feel like, you know, people tried and people are still trying. But as you said, I don't think that has like fully, the market has fully embraced that yet, right? That's one thing. And I think on the other hand, embedded insurance now, given the technological innovation, has also a chance to, you know, help with the protection gap that is out there in the world. Meaning, you know, there's mm. a there's a huge amount of people who are who want insurance or can buy insurance, but actually can't get it in the right way. And that's mostly happened in or mostly happening in the de developing markets like Latin America and Africa. Uh, however, there's also a huge protection gap still here in the US, which is caused by natural catastrophes and how can you use embedded insurance there. And I feel like from my perspective, one there's there's a couple of things you have to keep in mind, right? Um, one is from the embedded perspective, uh, what are kind of the value chain dynamics here, right? Meaning like, who are the primary beneficiaries in the value chain? Is it the distributor? Is it the incumbent? Is it the embedded participant? I feel like that's kind of still unknown. There's a lot of regulatory scrutiny around embedded because the current products that are in the market, they were built not for embedded insurance, right? Mm -hmm. So that's that's something. And then most importantly, I feel like, will there be or are there any monopolistic trends, meaning you know, when you think about uh, embedded insurance, you always have to embed in some sort of a platform, right? Or some right. sort of another, whatever you want to call right. it. And is there any monopolistic trends there? Because uh, when you think about Apple, for example, I think I mentioned it in my article, which I think is amazing to see. Apple uh, has has an embedded insurance product, embedded warranty, right? That they sell. Apple Care. Apple Care. Right. They make over eight billion dollars, right, on wow. on on this product, wow. uh, which which is 
insane, right? Yeah. So it's it's crazy. Eight point five billion revenue, and these guys, there's no way that you will get into that into that you know value chain, right? They they dominate it, and I think the way they are winning there, and that's that's the key thing for embedded insurance, from my perspective, is that it is so seamless and it is so customer centric that you don't even think about it. Mm-hmm. Right. So when you go buy an an iPhone now and they tell you like Apple care is included uh, in the price, you can opt out if you want, but you, you know, know, it's already included. It's like whatever, two ninety nine. you'll be like, ah, you know, it's fine. I'll take it. Right. Whereas, and I think that's why they're winning because it's just so seamless and it's part of their experience. And that's why they're able to like, you know, make this happen. And I think that's the key for embedded insurance and um, so, how will this work in the future? So how you see, I remember there is a, like a partnership between Amazon and Next Insurance. I don't know if it's mm-hmm. going. Um, I'm not sure. Uh, yeah, I'm also not sure. But um, this one example for what I wanted to ask you, because once I buy Apple Care, I don't know who insured me. I don't know if the insurance uh, 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 company or if it's on Apple, it's Apple. I um, buy that because right. it's Apple. And right now, if I combine it insurance company or startups, uh, no matter what, um, I combine it with a different um, partnership. But then I see, okay, this is from X. Now X uh, like Twitter, but uh, from uh, X uh, like from X insurance company. Okay, I don't really rely on, or this is something could be very harmful for the process. You know what I mean? Yes. So and that's actually a very good point that you mentioned because, as I as I said, like all these platforms are looking for best experience because, as you said, when you go to Apple. You don't think about who is the warranty provider. You think it's Apple, and that's the experience that you get. Exactly. Right? And and it happens. It happened to me actually because my screen was broken. So the way it works, right? You just make uh, an appointment in the Apple, you know, uh, app. Mm-hmm. Then you go there, you drop it off, you wait for thirty minutes, and they give you this phone back. This is this is amazing, and you don't have to worry about anything. That's it. No worries. That's it. Right. And I think that's what you, as you mentioned, the experience is so important because um, the customer doesn't want to wait uh, and the customer has the highest priority for these platforms. And so how can you enable and have this, uh, you know, meaningful experience for them? Because a lot of embedded insurance to date, I think the, the problems were that, you know, platforms integrated the embedded insurance provider and if there's something happened, the customer had to go to their platform to file a claim and had to wait and whatever. So all of these things, you know, are kind of uh, they, 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 they break the flow and make the customer unsatisfied and no platform wants that. Mm-hmm. And again, that goes back to my to, to what I said before. Will there be any monopolistic trends? Because, you know, um, exactly. th- there's just one winner that can they can make it happen. But it seems like, I mean, there's two kind of bigger players out there that are thriving. One is um, Bolt Tech and the other one is Cover Genius, right? And so both of them are, seem to be doing well um, mm-hmm. and we'll have to see how that plays out. 
you said earlier that uh, insurance is a get rich slowly. Uh, <laughs> and especially in right now in the fundraising uh, statute that and all the insurtech, all the fintech uh, uh, right now, um, very struggle fundraising, very struggle to mm -hmm. uh, evolve, if we can say that. How can insurtech startups strike the right balance between achieving steady growth, you know, and avoiding the pitfalls of expanding too quickly? Because, uh, yeah, go ahead. Yeah, um, I think that's a that's a that's a discussion that we can have probably for hours. And uh, <laughs> this is one of the major topics that I have with with my own founders all the time. Of like, hey, what should we focus on? And uh, is it growth? Is it profitability? Is it slow growth? Whatever. The way I kind of when I was just talking to to my founder early on for our call, the way I try to explain it to them is that. Yes, you need growth. You have to show something. You have to show that there is growth, right? But th it's a chicken and egg problem because if you show growth of like, hey, I saw 10 policies this month and then 12 policies the next month and then 15, that growth might be too slow, right? So you have to find a balance of what is the right approach there. And then second, I think the most important now in terms of insure techs that are, you know, are selling insurance and not selling to insurance companies. That's a different topic there. Um, they need to show that they have a better understanding of risk selection or a better, you know, underwriting tool that, you know, helps them to better evaluate risk. So these two things come together. And it's very hard to do, right? It's very, very hard to show both uh, because most of the time, you know, even if you're great in risk selection, losses show up way later than, than exactly. like, you know, in the, next in the next month. If losses show up already in the next two months, well, it means like you're really bad <laughs> <laughs> or you kind of you didn't took the right risk there or, you, you know, whatever. Um, but usually in, in those traditional lines, uh, and, and other lines of businesses that the, the losses are more um, later on. And I feel like um, at the end of the day, you have to show an insure tech from my perspective as an investor, you are focusing on a category or a sector within insurance that has the need for technology, right? Uh, meaning like, hey, incumbents are using still traditional tools. There's, there's no digital product out there. Yeah. That's kind of the first kind of given, right? Um, and then you have to show like, hey, there is a chance of getting market share. So meaning like it's not a commoditized, fully commoditized market. It's only price driven because that's that's going to be hard to, to win there. And then third, you have to show way how you're going to acquire customers the right way uh, and in a profitable way uh, over the long time, over the long run, right? I think these are the three things that that I would say uh, are important. I think um, you also told said about uh, uh, developing markets. Mm -hmm. What kind of opportunities you see in developing markets, such as Latin uh, Africa, Middle East, even maybe uh, the Far East, like uh, India, that uh, we can see a lot of uh, startups started uh, to raise there. 
yeah. so what kind you, of cryptocurrencies you, we see yeah you, you get a you get a first your viewers and you get a first insight into what i think because that's actually part three of the series nice. that i okay. just kind of i'm finishing up to write and i should probably publish within the next couple of weeks i'm still you know tweeting nice. it a little tweaking it a little bit and so yeah so the next part and three i talk about like insurtech and the opportunities in emerging markets uh, specifically latam africa and middle east hmm. and um you know just to highlight i think latam i feel like is one of the biggest opportunities in the next 10 years there is there's so much happening there there is so much opportunity in terms of insurance that you know um we will see a lot of good things happening there. Uh, LATAM is one of the, you know, fastest growing regions. You know, uh, the market size for uh, insurance is 170 billion uh, premium a year, which is which is amazing. The CAGR, the CAGR is like 11%. is one of the most profitable markets for insurance globally, which is amazing, right? And there is a lot of, you know, digital penetration, which is important when you think about insurance and insure tech. So almost 83% of the population are using the internet, which is amazing, right? So um, in terms of opportunities there, I think I made an investment uh, there in, into a company that is focused on life insurance. Uh, and life insurance, I think, is a, is a key enabler within the Latin American region because, you know, the, the middle the middle class in Latin America is growing steadily and uh, meaning like um, a lot of uh, people in Latin America are, you know, uh, financially stable, financially savvy, uh, financially educated enough because they have, uh, you know, um, either lived abroad or, you know, have studied abroad. So they see that there's opportunities for financial stability and they want the same thing. Within, within the Latin American region and life insurance is a, is a great enabler of that, right? Uh, you know, when you think about penetration of life insurance right now in Latin America uh, is approximately 0.5 to 1.5%, right? Uh, which is nothing. Uh, in, in the US, um, you know, um, I have to go back to the numbers. Um, uh, sorry, it's uh, it's uh, it's 15% of Latin American adults mm. who can afford uh, life insurance have them, whereas in the U.S. it's fifty-two percent. So there's a huge, you know, opportunity there. Um, and I made an investment in a company that you know is a full-stack life insurance carrier that sells a new dig again a new digital insurance product that nobody has built before, right? In the Latin American region, uh, that's that for that. And in Africa, you know. Amazing, amazing continent. I mean, when you look at like stats over there and, and the stuff, it's like the most underserved insurance market in the world, first of all. Uh, but it's also com um, inherent complex when you think about, you know, all the problems there. Uh, insurance penetration is like sub 3%. So meaning like 90, 70% of the people don't have any insurance. Uh, you deal with a lot of like, you know, um, structural issues there as well, right? Um, mostly it's kind of um, lack of awareness, mm -hmm. uh, regulatory inconsistencies among countries, 
uh, and then fragmented distribution models that are very hard. Um, and at the same time, cultural habits. Um, that's, that's a key thing when you look at emerging markets. Cultural habits are just so different, right? Uh, specifically in an African region. But there, uh, in terms of insurtech, uh, microinsurance uh, has been thriving in the African ecosystem for, for, for some time now. And insurtechs have built in and around that. So uh, I've written about that in my article. And then lastly, I think Middle East, um, you know, is, is, the, is the region with the lowest insurance penetration when you think about it uh, uh, in terms of insurance. However, um, you know, also a lot of different um, challenges come there with like fragmented market structures, lack of awareness, and then there specifically cultural and religious beliefs, because obviously the majority of uh, the populations are Muslims. And with when you are um, someone who uh, is Muslim and believes uh, in, in that, you know, uh, the traditional insurance, um, you know, doesn't apply uh, to your beliefs, meaning there is a different kind of insurance that was built, which is called Takaful as a solution. Uh, influenced by cultural factors, um, because um, as as you and I know, uh, in a conventional insurance mechanism involves um, uh, elements of like um, investing in uh, you basically transfer a risk to an insurance company, and in a conventional insurance mechanism involves elements that are prohibited by the Islamic rules and principles. Yeah. Right? Because they like so that, they like gambling and it's prohibited in Islam, right? Co correct. Correct, correct. So that's why traditional insurance is hard and a lot of things are like focused you know, on like different. As a former chief underwriter, I had a case that uh, we had to insured um, a business and, uh, and the insured was a Muslim and he wanted to cover only liabilities, third party liabilities, employers' liabilities. And then we asked him, okay, what about your property? And you have a lot of property. He said, "No, it's the property is from Allah will save us, and that's it. And you understand is from his beliefs. It's not just okay. He want only the liabilities, but uh, from a, a, a culture perspective, from a religious perspective. Yes, it was a very interesting. Yeah. Um, I wanted to ask you about um." 2025, okay? Growing your experience, uh, what are your top three predictions to 2025 regarding InsurTech? Of course. Yeah, good good question. Um, I think we'll see a lot more movement on the specialty insurance side, right? Mm -hmm. So InsurTech's, you know, focusing there, specifically here in the US. I think we'll see a lot of, you know, development, as you mentioned, on the AI and LLM side. I don't, I just don't know uh, if, you know, big things will come out of that, to be honest. Um, and then I think emerging markets uh, is, is another topic, as we talked about, specifically LATAM. I think there's huge, huge opportunity mm -hmm. um, that, you know, we'll, we'll see more coming out within the next two years. You said about Latin that you invested right now in InsurTech in FullStack. InsurTech. Mm -hmm. And FullStack is like insurance carrier, is end-to-end -end insurance carrier, right? 
We Correct. know that lemonade root, I think, was uh, created as a full stack. And right now there is like a scene in the InsurTech world that you don't want to become full stack. This is not very smart move. And even not to be an MGA in the beginning. What is perspective about this? Because right now, if I'm in TrueTech, I probably want to be one of those TPAs, uh, MGA, MGU, full stack if I have the money. Uh, you know, I want yeah. to be like one of the creatures. But yeah, um, full, full stack. Uh, um... Just have to write this here. Full stack only makes sense um, if you if you um, have kind of specific data that you can use and be better. Right, starting off as a full stack will not give you you know a better advantage. Actually, you know you really need to know what you're doing. Right, so that's that's one thing. MGA, I still feel like it's a great opportunity to 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 get the business. But it only makes sense if you have uh, foc if you focus on a specific category, as we talked about, where you know technology makes sense. Um, I am, you know, the full stack I invested in that there was a lot of like you know historical data that they had amassed over 10, 20 years, over decades mm -hmm. that they used for underwriting, so they had an advantage there. And full stack make the most sense, right? And I mean, if you look at Root and Lemonade, I don't know what kind of data that they had uh, that that was better. I think it was just the timing there, you know, felt better for them to start as a full mm -hmm. stack because obviously it gives you way more authority. So as we need to the end, last questions, are there any final thoughts you would like to share with us? No, I think I, I, I really enjoyed it. Thanks for having me. I think we talked about a lot of good stuff. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And I hope, uh, you know, the viewers will like it. And any, feel free to reach out to anybody. I'd be always happy to chat about insurance. And if there's any company building in and around insurance, uh, happy to hear about it as well. Great. Amir, thank you very much. Thank you very, very much. Bye Thanks bye. so much for having me. Appreciate yeah. it.